If you have a Bible, would you take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue our study of the first 16 chapters, or 16 chapters, <laughs> 16 verses of this chapter. Uh, regarding this passage last week, uh, which included our verses for today, we said this, God has given his church gifts so that we are able to grow in unity and love. God has given his church gifts so that we are able to grow in unity and love. We focused on verses 7 through 11, looking at the fact that Christ has graciously given gifts to his church. We said that every member of Christ's church is, is given a gift or gifts to minister to the body, and that these gifts flow powerfully from the resurrected and ascended Christ. We also considered the particular list of gifts, that gifts that's in verse 11, that focuses on uh, the fact that God has given the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He has given the church word of God-focused people and gifts. Seeing that God has graciously given these gifts to his church, we ended last week by noting that the text also tells us why he has given these gifts to the church. Paul not only tells us the recipients, the source, and the substance of these gifts, but he answers the question, what is the purpose of these gifts? And we said briefly that the, the purpose of these gifts is the building up and maturing of the body of Christ. And today we want to think a little bit more deeply about that. What does it, what does it mean for the body of Christ, the church, to be mature? And how does it grow into that maturity? And, and how does the fact that God has given gifts to the body help it grow? My kids go to the doctor for their yearly checkup, and part of that checkup involves seeing how their growth is tracking. Uh, if you're a parent, you know this experience somewhat well, depending on uh, how excited your doctor gets about growth charts, and our doctor loves growth charts. Um, the doctor measures their height and, the, and their, weight, uh, their weight, and then notes where they land on a typical chart, the typical graph, or how they're tracking with what would be normal for, their, uh, for them to grow with. And the doctor also asks questions about their development. Uh, there's these developmental questions for each age so that you know what should be happening. So at one year old, they'll ask, is the child pulling themselves up to standing or, or maybe even walking? Uh, at two years old, are they putting two and three words together? Uh, at five years old, can they count to ten? And so on. And together, when you take the growth chart and you take these uh, milestone questions, they give us an idea of, of whether or not this child is tracking with what is expected of them as they mature. And it lets us know if something maybe is, is off or we need to change things appropriately. And while it may not be as exact, Paul, in fact, gives us a, a growth chart for the church. And he sparks some, some questions that we should be asking ourselves as God's people. He helps us to see what a mature church looks like. He gives us the goal that we are to be working towards so that we can see if we're tracking towards his purposes for us. And he also tells us about the gifts that he's given to us, gifts and, and how they're to be used in this growth process. It's easy to come up with our own ideas about what the church should be. And, and just how we should get there. We can make our own charts and define our own milestones about 
what a mature church is. Uh, concerning spiritual gifts, it's easy to use our gifts for our own personal agenda or with no thought of the maturity of the church at large. But God's word here gives us a picture of what maturity in the body of Christ should look like and how the gifts that he has given to the church should be used for his purposes to grow in the way that he intends us to. And so with that in mind, our big idea is actually the same as last week because it's the same passage. Uh, God has given his church gifts so that we are able to grow in unity and love. Of course, our focus today is going to be on the purpose of these gifts, which Paul both explains and illustrates. And so my hope is the same as last week, that we as a church would be filled with confidence and clarity. Uh, confidence that God has equipped us to do exactly what he is asking us to do, and clarity about just exactly what he is asking us to do as his people. God has given his church gifts so that we are able to grow in maturity, in unity, and in love. And with this in mind, uh, let's read Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. This is what God's word says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I said that in this passage, Paul both explains and illustrates the purpose of the gifts that he's given and the, the goal of maturity. The explanation and the illustration are in fact woven together in the text, but we'll, we'll look at them separately. And so I wanna focus first on the explanation. And we see the explanation for the purpose of the gifts uh, and for the, the goal of the, of the church, uh, most clearly in verses 12 and 13. And as we step into verse 12, we're actually hit with kind of a, a technical translation question that has potential to influence how we understand the purpose of the gifts in verse 11 and even the way that the church functions. And so uh, we're going to have to try to wrestle with that. Uh, see if you can actually find out what the question is by looking at two different ways to translate this verse. The, the first would be the ESV, which is what we use every Sunday. And it says of these gifts, of these individuals, that they are, quote, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's one translation. A second translation from the King James Version, it says that these gifts are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Did you see it? Maybe not. 
the addition of a, a comma, actually, after the word saints in the King James Version makes things even clearer. You might notice in the ESV, there is no comma after saints. And it indicates in the King James then that there are three functions or purposes of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, which are uh, for the perfecting of the saints or the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, number two, number three, for the edifying of the body. On the other hand, the ESV and other translations indicate that these five gifts of verse 11 are to focus on one thing, the equipping of the saints, and that they are to equip them for two things, for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body. Now, why does this matter? Well, the, the broader implication of these two translations seems to be that one puts the emphasis on those who are evangelists and pastors and teachers doing the work of the, the ministry, while the other indicates that these individuals are, to, are gifted to equip and to train the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body. One seems to give more power and influence to a select few that have these gifts, while the other leads to an emphasis on what we might call every member ministry. Every member of the body of Christ is to minister to one another. Now here's the temptation as you hear those two translations. I'll just pick the one that I like. <laughs> uh, and, and I would imagine that most of us would probably pick the one that leads to an every member is a minister sort of uh, focus. But I'll say that I've read compelling arguments for both translations. Um, and while I think I would lean towards the way that the ESV translates verse 12, both uh, from just the context as well as other reasons, it could in fact be that the tension that we see in these two translations is a, a tension that we need to hold about the ministry of the church. Not a tension that we maybe even need to fully resolve, but one that we should always be evaluating. And what's the tension? Here's the tension. On the one hand, we need to recognize that Paul is rightly putting an emphasis on, on these gifts of verse 11 and of their influence in the church. The apostles and the prophets were key to the foundation of the church, and those who proclaim the gospel and preach the word and teach the scriptures to this very day seem to have a deeper responsibility within the body of Christ, and often even a, a stronger influence, which is why they're held to a unique standard, like what we find in 1 Timothy Chapter 3, there's a reason that we're careful about who we set apart as deacons and elders. There is a, a reason why the preaching of the word uh, each and every Sunday is, is central and a priority to our services. It's why we're careful about who we allow to teach and to preach. There's responsibility attached to teaching of all forms, including even as we teach the children the scriptures. We're careful about who is allowed to do that. And yet, on the other hand, our understanding of what the reformers called the, the priesthood of all believers makes us cautious about anything that looks like a priesthood of only some believers. We're wary of allowing the gap between what we call the clergy and the laity, uh, between ministers and members, to become too wide. We're maybe even worried about there being a gap of any kind at all. Paul has made it clear in Ephesians that all who are in Christ are spirit-indwelt children of God. So it makes sense to say that the Spirit can and does use every member of the church to do the work of the ministry. Even in this passage, we see that it's the body that builds itself up as everyone is doing what they are called and equipped to do. And it is Christ who is the head of the body, 
not the pastor, not the evangelist, not the teachers. So there's the tension. Do you see it? God gives the gifts of evangelists and pastors and teachers to the church to minister to the saints, but the saints also have the gift of the Spirit and the gifts given by the triumphant Jesus and are therefore able to minister to one another. And so I think we hold that tension. I think that's an important tension to hold. I think, in fact, as you look at this list, which is this list of gifts in verse 11, which is different than the other lists, it focuses on these, these word ministries. I think that might be um, the, the unique contribution of this particular gift list with its focus on the, the giving of individuals and the giving of word-proclaiming gifts. We, we are careful to respect the gifts and the offices that are given to the church while not revering them as the only members of the body who can be effectively used to minister to the body. Nor do we expect those that have these gifts to do all the work that the church is called to do. That can be a a big danger. Well, that's the pastor's job. That's the people who are gifted in that way. They run the things in the church. No, we emphasize the priesthood of all believers, not simply some, and therefore the ministry responsibility of all believers. We are aware of our place in the body of Christ, not allowing ourselves to think that it's simply the job of certain individuals to see that the, the church is growing spiritually and ministering powerfully. Well, we could say more. But for now, let's hold that tension. Uh, We can discuss it more if you like. But let's move forward with the ESV's understanding of things. This idea that that the the gifts of of verse 11 are to be focused on equipping. Uh, And so, again, these word-centric gifts, their main focus, we could say, is to equip the saints. So this is the explanation. What are these gifts for? They are to equip the saints. That's what these folks are supposed to do. That's what these gifts are intended for. That word equip is also translated perfecting. Uh, It has the idea of mending something that is broken or of of completing something that is lacking. So if you hold those two pictures together, mending something that is broken or completing something that is lacking, then we might think of equipping as, as being being given something that we don't have that we need. Think about it maybe in relation to your job or other responsibilities that you have. And maybe sometimes you feel like you need to be equipped to do what you're being asked to do. You need the right technology or you need the right tools. Um, Maybe you need more training or knowledge to fix a problem or to help a specific individual. You need equipped. Kids, maybe your parents ask you to to do something or your teacher at school asks you to complete a task and you feel like you need equipped. You need some sort of a a new skill or some specific tool to to do what they're asking you to do. Well, the, the gifts, the people of verse 11 are to equip the members of the body and they do that through the means of teaching and applying the scriptures. The teaching of the scriptures is to complete what is lacking in us to supply what we need. Why? So that we can do what we're called to do in ministering to one another. This reminds us that at the the heart of the Bible and the teaching of the Bible is an equipping for action. And the equipping here is for two things. Paul says it's for for service to the body 
and for the strengthening of the body. We are to be equipped by these gifts through the word so that we can be a blessing to the body of Christ. Notice first, these evangelists, pastors, teachers are to equip the body for what? For service to the body. For service to the body. The word ministry in verse 12 has the same root as the word that we translate deacon, the the office of deacon, which literally has to do with, with waiting tables. We see that back in in Acts 6. The deacons in Acts 6 literally helped with distributing food to widows. And here we find that that our equipping through the ministry of the word is so that we can serve one another in love. The scriptures call us not to use our gifts for selfish purposes. What are we to use them for? For service to one another. Now think about this. Of course, there are, there are people outside the church who serve others every day and they serve people without the presence of the Spirit, without the equipping of the, of the Scriptures. You know people like that. So is there a uniquely Christian, Spirit-empowered way to serve others? I think the answer is yes, that there is, there has to be. There's an equipping that happens that causes us to serve one another in a unique way way as followers of Jesus. There's a way to cook someone a meal, to help with their household chores, to give them a ride to an appointment, to hold their hand as they die, to serve them in each and in in any and every way that is uniquely Christian and uniquely Christ-like. And as we study God's word together, we're shaped more and more into the image of Christ so that we can serve the body of Christ in a way that images and glorifies Christ. I wonder, do we, do we look at our lives and we do, do we rejoice as a part of the body of Christ that God has given us gifts so that we can serve our sisters and our brothers in Christ? That we're excited about serving each other. Do we allow God's word to help us see just how we can serve each other in a way that represents Christ well? And as we serve others, do we seek to do it in a uniquely Christ-honoring and Christ-like way? way. Well, we're not only to be equipped for service to the body, but also for the strengthening of the body. These uh, folks in, in, in verse 11 are to equip the body for service to the body, and second, for the strengthening of the body. The word strengthening here recalls the image of a church being a building or a temple. It has the idea of being structurally solid or secure, and when we apply that to the body metaphor, it means that we are healthy and we are strong. What, the, what, the, what that strength looks like is explained in the rest of, of these verses, but note here that the gifts we are given are not self-focused. The gifts we are given are to strengthen others. Let me summarize as we're thinking about this explanation. God's word tells us that those who are gifted and given the task of teaching and exhorting and correcting and training others with the scriptures are to do so with the hope that all the members of the body are equipped with what they need so that they can serve the body and strengthen the body. And as we all serve and strengthen one another, our goal is threefold according to verse 13, that we would attain unity, that we would become mature, and that we would, be, we would be filled with all the fullness of Christ. So we're all serving and strengthening each, strengthening, strengthening each other with these things in mind. So 
If you haven't noticed, Paul's piling up a lot of terms, and he's building on top, on top of a lot of different things. So let's keep it simple. We, we are serving others, and our strengthening of others leads to unity, maturity, and fullness. A few words on those three things. First, unity. This has been a major theme for Paul. If you've been with us at all, you know that he keeps talking about the unity of the body. And we find that we're not only, according to verse 3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the body, but we are also to use our gifts to attain the unity of the body. The unity of the body of Christ is something that Christ has purchased, but here, in this already not yet world that we live in, we are striving towards this unity and seeking to maintain any unity that we do have. And, and one way that we attain unity is through serving and strengthening one another. We're looking not simply to our own needs, but to the needs of others, and then we are growing in unity. Think about that. That makes sense, doesn't it? We are drawn closer to one another as we use our gifts to bless and serve one another. If someone in this church comes alongside you and sacrificially serves you, doesn't it tighten the bonds between you? Or think about it this way. If we serve alongside each other, doesn't that strengthen the bonds that we have with one another? I'm thinking about the four uh, folks that are a part of our church that just left on a mission trip heading to Appalachia. They are going to serve alongside each other, and you know what's going to happen? They're going to grow closer together. And as we serve one another, the person who is served is drawn closer to the body, but also as we serve alongside one another, we are drawn deeper into unity. We attain unity by serving each other. Now, specifically, here, we are, we are to be building up in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. As we serve one another in the, the name of Christ with the gifts that are given by Christ, we are united in an ever-deepening way around our common faith and our, our common seeking after the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, knowledge is not simply something that resides in our heads. It's also in our hearts and it's in our actions. And faith is not passive. Faith is, is active. So as we serve one another, we are, we are unified around our desire to grow in Christ-likeness. In fact, I think that Christ-likeness seems to be the goal of all of these things. Our unity reflects Christ. It reflects his union with the Father and the Son. And so too, the second thing, our maturity is Christ-likeness. So we, we, are, we are being built up so we, have, so we attain unity, but also maturity. And, and Paul has already said that, that the church is a new man, but the question is, are we mature? What does maturity look like? We're going to see this in verses 14 through 16, but we could also look back at verses 1 through 6. Maturity is, the kind of heart is having the kind of heart attitudes that promote unity and knowing the, the core truths of the gospel that are most important. Maturity is humility and gentleness and the like, and it's being wise enough to know what unites us and what doesn't need to divide us. We could also say again, maturity is Christ-likeness. Jesus was the perfect human being, and the hope of the gospel is rooted in his perfect life and his atoning death. The great hope of the church is not to be perfect on our own, but to trust and the fact that through faith in Jesus, we are saved from God's wrath and we're given his righteousness. And because of our hope in Jesus' finished work, we're now empowered to walk in his ways. He exemplified through his words and his actions the kind of character that the Spirit is building in us, the, the, the maturity that we are supposed to have as his bodies. 
And one of the primary ways that God uses to make us mature, to make us like Jesus, is the church. Our sanctification and our growth as followers of Jesus cannot happen in isolation. Brothers and sisters, don't buy the lie that the church is a hindrance to your growth in maturity as a Christian. Don't buy the lie that the church is keeping you from becoming a mature Christian. The opposite is true. The church, the body of believers, is vital and essential to our growth. God's vision in salvation is not for isolated followers of Jesus who are siloed off from everyone else, assuming that they are more mature Christians than all of the people that they don't interact with. No, his vision is of a church diverse in countless ways, including in the gifts that they have been given. Gifts that we are supposed to use to serve and strengthen one another so that we glorify him as we grow in unity and maturity. Is it a lot messier to be mature in the church than to just sit in my room and feel like I'm mature? It is, but it's the only way for us to mature. So we're growing in unity, we're, we're growing in, in maturity, and as we, we also are growing in fullness. We're growing in fullness. This is a, a word that Paul likes here in Ephesians. Maybe you remember he's using this idea, and specifically he talks about the fullness of Christ. Uh, when he talks about it, a lot of times we're keeping in mind, remember this picture of the church as a temple. The, the, the temple of God where God's spirit dwells in fullness, controlling his people completely and glorifying him as they live together. And so Paul connects the longing for the fullness of Christ and his controlling presence in the church to the people of God being equipped to use their gifts to serve and to strengthen the body. All right, we're piling up more things, so time for another summary, okay? Okay. Those who are gifted to the church to teach the scriptures and apply the gospel to our lives are to focus on equipping the members of the church so that we all together will serve and strengthen the body. And, and this serving and this strengthening of the body is going to lead to three things. It's going to lead to unity, it's going to lead to maturity, and it's going to lead to fullness. And if you want to combine those into one, we could say it's going to lead to Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness in our lives and in the church as a whole. There's the explanation, okay? Now, Paul's a great teacher, though. He doesn't just explain. He illustrates. Woven into this passage is an illustration of the purpose and of the goal of the gifts that we've been given. So how do we know that we are growing in these ways as a church? Well, we're going to look a lot, more, a lot less like verse 14 and we're going to look a lot more like verses 15 through 16. So let's consider the illustration. We've seen the explanation. Now we're moving into the illustration, verses 14 through 16. And in verse 14, we get a negative illustration, an illustration of who we will, uh, who, who we will be if we do not do what's been described in the previous verses. Notice that, so that, in verse 14, Paul is saying we need to follow God's design for the church so that we don't look like this. If the church is not functioning properly, if the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers of all kinds are not equipping the saints, if we are not using our gifts to serve and strengthen one another, then Paul says we're going to be like a large group of individual children 
who are thrown around by the waves. This is the, the picture. The picture is of a bunch of toddlers that have been left by themselves at the beach to swim in the ocean. It's kind of funny when you first think about it, and then it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying because you see them and they are helpless, they are unstable, they're in over their heads, literally, they're thrown around by the waves, they're pulled by all of the currents, and they're distracted by every movement. So you get that picture? A giant group of toddlers in the ocean. That's what we are like apart from the church functioning properly. The, the waves that are tossing us to and fro here are said to be every wind of doctrine, human cunning, and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Think about this. What Paul describes as the waves is the exact opposite of loving, biblically focused teachers that are given by God. If we don't have them, then we are being deceived. The opposite of doctrine is not no doctrine. It's false doctrine. The opposite of solid teaching is not no teaching. It's deceptive and deceitful teaching that leads us into error and to, into death. And Paul knew this was an issue for the church. Back in Acts 20, he gave the Ephesian elders this instruction, and he did it on a beach <laughs> with the sound of the waves as his soundtrack. This is what he says in Acts 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is to the Ephesian elders, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. In Acts 20, it's wolves. In Ephesians 4, it's waves. The gifts of verse 11 then are needed so that the deception of verse 14 doesn't happen. Again, brothers and sisters, beware of who you listen to. Not everyone who holds a Bible speaks the truth. And Satan often disguises himself as an angel of light. Beware of following every wind of doctrine, of human cunning, and of craftiness and deceitful schemes. How do we avoid it? The blessing of the church. The blessing of the church with leaders and teachers who are preaching God's word clearly. Well, in contrast to the negative, negative illustration, toddlers in the ocean... <laughs> The church that functions in the way that Christ has designed resembles verses 15 through 16, a strong adult who is grounded in love. That's what the church looks like when it's functioning properly. A mature man, a strong adult grounded in love. It's the picture of a full-grown adult standing knee-deep in the ocean. There's still waves, there's still currents, but they don't knock this person down or drag him around. Now, I don't want to push the illustration too far, okay, but this is the image that I get. Uh, it would seem that this strong adult is actually made up of all the individual toddlers. Does that make sense? If you could imagine a, a strong adult that is actually a bunch of toddlers, 
holding themselves together into a, a human form. It's, it's kind of like a Transformers image, you know, uh, where we're all united together so that we can stand firm. Paul then takes this illustration into the body where he says that individually we're each the muscles and the ligaments that when we're working together, we can stand firm in the midst of all that is happening around us. You ever notice that when you stand in the ocean, all your muscles and your ligaments are working to keep you standing firm. If you spend the day in the ocean, you're soaring with muscles you didn't know you had because it takes a lot to just stand there. And that's what we need. We need every joint, every muscle, every ligament working together so that we can stand firm. And Paul tells us what happens in the church when we are a strong, mature body of Christ. Very quickly, three things in verses 15 and 16. First, we speak the truth in love. A mature body of Christ speaks the truth in love. What a beautiful phrase, isn't it? I, I can't think of any better way to say it. A healthy church that's grounded in the scriptures and in the gospel says what is true and says it with a heart full of love. We don't shy away from hard conversations. We don't compromise on the truth but we're also not heartless and harsh in how we speak. We, we warn others with tears in our eyes. We rebuke people with humility. We comfort people with deep compassion. We're patient and we listen as much as we speak. We speak the truth in love when we're a mature body of Christ. Second, let's just say we allow Christ to be Lord. We allow Christ to be Lord. We re who's the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church, and we let him call the shots. This, again, I think takes us into Christ-likeness. Jesus is the head of the church, and so we're always seeking to look more and more like our Savior as we live together as his people. So we speak the truth in love. We allow Christ to be Lord. Third, we, we each lovingly use our gifts to build up the body. Each member all of us toddlers together, held together. We're each using our gifts to build up the body. Think about it. When your body is working properly, it's, it's able to do amazing things. And so too, when every member of the church is rightly equipped through the word, and when every member of the church is properly using their gifts to serve and strengthen the body, the body builds itself up. That's such an interesting phrase. The body builds itself up. It's like self-generating the way that we function well when we are centered on the word and using our gifts to serve each other. We speak the truth in love. We allow Christ to be Lord, and we each lovingly use our gifts to build up the body. Now, the temptation in the church is often to do the exact opposite of those three things. The temptation is to avoid hard conversations or be overly harsh when we speak the truth. Uh, it's to make someone or something else Lord. It's to use our gifts for our own self-interest rather than for the building up of the body. But that's not the way of the Spirit. That's not how God is leading us. Consider this explanation and illustration of the purpose of the gifts. And as, as we think about this here, I think we can clearly see God's goals and his purposes for the gifts that he's given to his people. Like my kid's pediatrician, here in Ephesians 4, we have a growth chart, and, and we have progress qu questions for a mature church. And notice, 
Our growth chart, uh, it has nothing to do with a, a building. It has nothing to do with the size of our budget. It has nothing to do with the number of people who come every Sunday, which is often how we measure a mature church. But there's none of that here. Those things may come, but that's not what's listed here. We could actually have all of those things, uh, and, but we would have to measure other things to make sure that we were actually mature if we were growing in the ways that we're supposed to. So what are the milestone questions? What are the maturity questions that arise from this passage? And if you've got your pen ready to write these down, I'm faking you out because we're not writing them down. We're going to talk about them. This is what we're going to do at Potluck. We're going to look at Ephesians 4 and say, if you had to come up with milestone questions for the church like you do for your two-year-old to know that they are mature, what would we say? What are the questions that we would write down to ask our church, are we mature? Are we growing in maturity? So that's your beyond the food. And my wife brought lasagna. Your invitation to stick for around for potluck is so you can be a part of this discussion, okay? Um, but let me close with two thoughts very briefly. Just two things that I, I want to emphasize as we close. First, the church is important. The church is important. And I'm not talking just about this service. I'm talking about the people of God, your brothers and sisters in Christ that you have covenanted together with to love and to serve. The body of Christ is not secondary to God's purposes. The body of Christ is not optional to our growth in Christ-likeness. It is vital. God has given the church gifts so that we are able to grow in unity and love. And if we don't have the church, our growth is going to be stunted. Second, love is primary. Love is primary. How do, what's the last two words here in the ESV? In love. And if you think about how this passage begins, you go back to verse 2. Bearing with one another what? In love. Love is key for the unity of our church, for our maturity in Christ. Uh, Mark read a portion of 1 Corinthians 12 for us. Uh, and in this discussion that Paul has in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 about spiritual gifts, he interrupts and right in the middle in this whole discussion about spiritual gifts in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, what does he talk about? talks about love. He says it doesn't matter how well you exercise your gifts. If you lack love, it doesn't, they, they amount to nothing. And here we see that at the core of what God is calling us to do is, is that we need to be those who love one another so that we are built up in love. The church is not a place of harshness and judgmentalism. The church is a place of love. It is a place of truth. It is a place of sound teaching. But it's also a place of deep, deep love. And that love is going to build us up, and that love is going to make us more like Christ. And who is Christ? He's the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so my hope is that we as Christ church would love one another in the same sacrificial God-glorifying way as our head, Jesus Christ, has loved us. Let's take a moment of silence and allow God's Spirit to speak to our hearts. And then I will close this in prayer.
Father, would you fill us with confidence? Confidence that you have given us everything that we need to grow into maturity as your church. And would you give us clarity about just what that looks like? Help us to see from your word how we can grow to be a mature church that glorifies you, that sees others coming to know you, that, that we would be a mature body of believers that stands firm and that honors you and that loves one another. Thank you for loving us first in Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen.